Hi, welcome to Global Local Talks. My name is Claudia Kaiser. I'm the Vice President of Frankfurt Book Fair of Frankfurter Buchmesse and a Director at the German Book Office New Delhi. The German Book Office New Delhi of the Frankfurter Buchmesse was established in 2008 in order to drive the exchange between the creative and publishing industries of our two countries. The Frankfurt Book Fair is the biggest trade fair for the international publishing and adjacent industries with more than 7,000 exhibitors from 104 countries, 300,000 visitors come to the fair every year, and more than 10,000 journalists and bloggers report about it to 80 countries worldwide. And thousands of events are happening at the time of the fair. It is the most important international marketplace for creative intellectual property, not only in publishing, but also in the areas of film, games, technology, virtual reality, and many others. It is also the place to find and spark new business opportunities and partners. The fair is becoming more and more digital by the day, and especially in times like these, online platforms become extremely important. And so, once again, welcome you to the Global Local Talks. This podcast series features entrepreneurs, authors, and leaders making an impact on the publishing industry and the creative sector internationally. We dive into what it takes to succeed, especially in tough conditions. And the whole world, and especially the creative sectors, are facing huge challenges in the present situation where we fight the COVID-19 virus the world over. So we need motivations and stimulations at this time. And therefore, we turn to publishing experts, writers, and entrepreneurs to share with us their experiences. In this fifth podcast of the Global Local Talk series, we have some really interesting and motivating topics for you today as we speak with Samir Sharif. Samir is the founder and CEO of Impulsive. Impulsive is Samir's second startup. He has grown the company to become a leader in online content and learning delivery for the publishing, healthcare, education, and enterprise markets. Impulsive helps more than 250 customers with their online content and learning delivery strategy through their products and services. Samir is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where he earned his Bachelor in Economics with a concentration on entrepreneurial management from the Wharton School of Business. Samir is a passionate sports person and has completed the New York and Paris marathons. Wow. Samir is also active in supporting the Indian startup ecosystem, where he advises and invests in early stage startups. Hi, Samir. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really thrilled, and we haven't spoken in a long time. But thank you very much, and the Frankfurt uh, Book Fair for having me today, and I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you for joining us. I'm really thrilled. There's very little known about your early days. To talk to yeah. someone as successful as you are, the first thing that comes to mind is, how did you grow up? And when did you start thinking about being an entrepreneur? Was there a certain incident or experience? No, I think, I mean, uh, to tell you, I'm living my dream as a, as a kid. And this is, uh, it's been, since I was a small kid growing up in India, uh, I've always wanted to build businesses and uh, I'm doing it right now. I think 
you know, a couple of instances why in my, as I was growing up, uh, my, you know, you know, be it uh, luck or the fate of why, where the environment I was in, you know, my father's a doctor, so he's a professional, but I had a lot of my uncles who were businessmen. So I was always looking at them and admiring them in terms of the, you know, and it's always the same, the grass is always greener on the other side versus being a doctor or a professional. So I wanted to be a businessman, but what I think at a very young age, maybe 12, 13, that uh, really hit home hard uh, was, you know, my dad was a successful doctor. He was financially well-to-do. And, you know, India is a microcosm of wealth and poverty. It's uh, so large. And even in our family, there is, you know, in our family, there are a lot of wealthy people in our family, as well as uh, family members who really have a difficult uh, time even sustaining themselves. So my dad used to, me and my, we used to live in Saudi Arabia and we used to come on our holidays to India every year. And every year when we used to come, you know, family members used to, we'd visit family members and there were certain family members who my dad would always financially help, you know, every year. But I saw this happening every year that he would give them money. But it struck me at that time, and there was this, there's the saying that if you give a man a fish, you will feed him for a day. Versus if you teach them how to fish, you will actually help have them, you know, be able to sustain themselves for the rest of their lives. So that struck me that, you know, if instead of just giving money, if I can create economic empowerment or create jobs, I could actually do better and help my, my family, my community, and the country. So since I was young, my whole vision was how can I, you know, use my skill sets to create jobs. And that's what I've been pursuing throughout my childhood, even as I was going to college, it was always about taking ideas in my head and making it into a commercial uh, you know, proposition that could generate revenue. So I've had a fantastic and I've been super blessed to uh, you know, have that. And today, you know, I can say, uh, you know, I've, I've created thousands of jobs. So, and my goal was at the beginning, I told myself, if I could just create one job, you should be satisfied. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy and, uh, you know, uh, hmm. done. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And your first company was MetSide, right? Yes. That you created. You co-founded yes. it straight out of college, which eventually right. got acquired by WebMD Health for over $40 million, I found. Wow. Hmm. You grew the company to become the largest internet pharmaceutical marketing companies in the U.S. How did you receive this debut of pioneering success? No, I think, I mean, uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, when you're building a company, you've got to build it for the right reasons. So I'm, actually, it was right after college, like uh, you had mentioned, but uh, it was uh, a bunch of my friends, a bunch, uh, you know, we were best friends from college. We moved out of college at the Wharton School and then, um, you know, actually with no money, went to New York City. Um, and this is before startups were big. It's in, you know, 95, 96 uh, that we actually started this. And uh, the thought of actually on, you know, college grads coming from such a prestigious university, not going into a banking or a consulting job and just mm -hmm. taking full risk and, you know, starting something. It was, it was you know, it wasn't normal. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of our companies actually had all the jobs but we wanted to, we were a little bit of a rebel we wanted to really uh you know have a lot of fun work really hard and get a lot of success 
And I think it was the right time. This is when the internet was evolving. Mm. Right? And we saw the power of what the internet can do. And actually, so we started off actually being the first medical bookstore online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where my relationship with publishing started. Oh, but right. With that, we then, as the internet exploded in the late 90s, uh, and we raised a lot of money, we just became, you know, we started building this medical uh, you know, uh, services and products on the web and uh, built this whole platform, which then as uh, the dot-com crash happened, we pivoted and created the largest pharmaceutical marketing company, which WebMD finally uh, acquired. So it was, we were, you know, we took that risk of starting a company, but mm. we were you know, also, you know, in a, at a great time when the internet just was starting and exploding. So we rode that wave and it was, it was fantastic that way. Mm, great. Yeah. Amazing. And um, then from there, you sold the company and started Impulses? So before selling the company, I actually moved out of MedSite because there was an opportunity. I saw this, you know, so like I said, we started with the medical bookstores. We had some relationships. So as I was looking for the next idea, right, I started, uh, you know, talking to some of my uh, network in the publishing area. But I realized just like how, you know, the internet, uh, you know, in the pharmaceutical market, the internet connected doctors to the pharmaceutical companies. Even in publishing, the internet could revolutionize how publishers connected to their end users. And I thought that was the place to actually help publishers. That whole, and we saw that, I mean, print was big. I knew that there was going to be a transformation into digital at that time. Uh, this was, you know, early, uh, you know, 2000s. So I started talking to the publishers and helping them with this digital transformation. Initially, it was just media, multimedia, you know, actually creating CDs and all of that. But then as the, the internet was evolving, getting websites and things like that for the, the publishers. So and we, we wanted to build technologies, not just provide a service. So we started building our platforms at that time. But the whole idea with Impulses was really leveraging the power of the internet or the power of technology to transform the core business mm. and help them really optimize and commercialize that business. Mm. So that's where the idea of Impulses came. And uh, it's been a great roller coaster of a ride. I can uh, imagine. Not, I mean, yeah, we had, the, mm, we had the Frankfurt Book Fair also at the heart of it. So we also see the roller coaster ride, especially nowadays. <laughs> um, but I want to know a little bit more about your thoughts on publishing, uh, but we'll come to that a little bit later. But how many pu- uh, clients in publishing have you got? Is right the biggest number uh, of your clients publishers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. We we have publishers from, uh, and it's phenomenal. I mean, uh, we have. A, I mean, one of our core values at uh, at Impulses is relationships, and uh, you know, building strong relationships. And I think, as an entrepreneur, I feel that's the fundamental of any business, right? You have mm. to have. Yeah. You know, you can be in, you can be in technology, you can be in retail, you can be in pharma. Uh, business, the basis of business is how you connect with the, you know your individuals, your employees, but also your customers. And I think mm. that's what we cherish the most. Our first customer at Impulses was Elsevier Science. 
you oh, know, okay. mm-hmm. one of the largest publishers in the world. Even today, you know, 17, 18 years later, they're still a customer of ours. And we, mm. you know, we value that, that we yes. could deliver every year, you know, and we help them. So that's been fantastic. But mm. we have hundreds and hundreds of publishers across the world. And that's the phenomenal thing. North America, South America, Europe, Eastern mm-hmm. and Western Europe, in okay. Africa, in mm-hmm. Middle East, in Asia, mm-hmm. you know, is we are, uh, we have customers around the world because digital and digital delivery is the norm. I look at myself as, uh, as impulsive as if you think about it in the traditional print world, you know, everyone had to build their content and finally they had to go take that content to the printer and then the printer would make it into a beautiful end product, you know, with the best paper, the best, uh, you know, uh, the cover binding and all that. In this new digital world, we are that printer, you know, we are that partner for these publishers to actually take their content, give them input on what's the best kind of technologies, what's the best kind of UI experience, what's the best kind of mobile experience for mm. them actually deliver uh, it and that's mm-hmm. why we have so many uh, customers and these are all long-term customers just like how in printing you you know yeah. you have a long relationship with the printer you know you yeah. see it's, it's it's for decades and that's why our publishing relationships are mm-hmm. I mean, some of them are for decades uh, mm-hmm. so so tell us a little uh, bit about the platforms that you offer Mm-hmm. So there's, uh, we have our core, what we call, it used to be called iPublish Central, which we launched at Frankfurt Book Fair in 2009. And that was a big decision. We'll talk about that. But uh, our platforms really, we were the first ebook delivery system in the market that was cl- based on the cloud. You know, we were one of the first customers using AWS, just Amazon Web Services. And over the years, the last 10 years, we've been innovating constantly. In 2009, it was a simple PDF delivery system mm-hmm. that was available on a desktop. Then we went, as the mobile phones came, we went to mobile, both iOS and Android. And as formats changed from PDF to EPUB, to EPUB 2, to EPUB 3, to EduPub, to HTML, to X, all of those formats, you know. Then as the books became, because we are primarily, a lot of our publishers are in the academic space. as as they could feel, understand that the internet could be, the book is a limiting factor, the physical book. You could only put you know, a certain number of pages between two binders. Mm. But digital, you can do a lot more. There's a lot more you can do. It's not just text delivery. It's video delivery. It's interactive. It's both ways. You're engaging. You can get feedback and all that. So all those technologies we started putting into our platform. Mm. So we're really excited about where we've come over the last 10 years, but we're super excited about what we're going to do over the next 10 years. Mm. Uh, and um, you just I mentioned that you also have a lot of e-learning uh, platforms or customers who use e-learning, co- uh, use your platform for e-learning uh, yeah. courses. Uh, have you seen that grow uh, in times like uh, Corona, where so much homeschooling and so much online um, education yeah. is being done yeah we're seeing uh see you know i think we're you know a big chunk of our business is in professional uh you know uh, in the professional education space so we have k-12 but a lot of our businesses are in the 
professional. Mm. And what we're seeing, I mean, it, Corona's been three months, but what we're seeing is all our customers that have, uh, you know, the, their business, where their revenues took a massive hit has been in the physical uh, delivery. But where they're seeing a massive uptick in their revenues is in their mm. digital delivery, you know? And, you know, so uh, even in e-learning, a lot of our customers are both physical learning as well as, you know, so that's been hit. Mm. You know, if they have, if uh, they have testing and we, so people have to go to a testing center to do tests, their revenues have been hard. But the digital testing and the digital stuff that, that you can do at home where you don't have to go somewhere, those mm. revenues have sustained and grown tremendously. So what our customers are saying is we need to move digital so much faster. So we're definitely seeing upticks there in terms of investing in the digital side from our customers, mm. especially on the online side. Okay, right. yeah, yeah, I, that's what I thought. And do you also yeah. uh, have clients who are not in the academic or education business? I mean, publishers who, um, trade publishers? We, see, I mean, uh, do we have, trade publishing is, uh, because I think the, the trade publishing uh, the business is really, you know, it's books like the Harry Potters or the Game of Thrones. And it's, you know, there, it's, there's not much mm. technology enablement. You, you just need to create an EPUB file, put it on to a, the Amazon Kindle and deliver it. Yeah. Versus uh, the academics, STM publishers, it is complex content that you're trying to teach uh, an end customer, that, that mm. medical student or the engineering student or the nurse or the doctor, where you can really leverage the full tools of tech, you know, uh, that is available with technology and media to actually mm. transform that content. It, technology hasn't impacted trade as much versus universities and the opportunities in, you know, for a publisher to transform themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and just like the Frankfurt Book Fair, we call ourselves Frankfurt Book Fair, but actually we are not a, just a book fair anymore, right? There are so many other platforms, so many other services. Like yourself, you've all also been coming to the Frankfurt Book Fair um, since 2009, and Impulses has been one of the most successful exhibitors at the Frankfurt Book Fair. Uh, what do you say about Frankfurt Book Fair? What does it mean for you and your business? It's, it's crazy, right? As an entrepreneur building a business, you start learning, right? And it's all, you're always, everything is new. So publishing, coming after my first, first company in healthcare publishing, what new? So a couple of years into it, uh, uh, realized the importance of fairs, book fairs, and uh, on one side, so there were a lot of fairs across the, the world, but, but the importance of Frankfurt book fair was uh, really, that was the, the mecca of, you know, any fair. And it was the, and actually 2009 was when we first exhibited, but I, I've been coming to Frankfurt for, you know, four or five years before that. So, you know, I still remember, and I think, you know, when I first came and I was just overwhelmed and it was like eight or nine exhibit halls. And I was just, it was this kid in Candyland uh, kind of experience. So, just so many, and I did the usual walk the halls, right? And it's amazing, even today, I mean, I've met, uh, you know, we have customers today where I've walked, did the walk the halls. I met, you know, these companies who, were, who had small boots in Frankfurt. And 
I, you know, I've got a couple of uh, clients who we went, I met at that time, you know, 2005, you know, six, seven, and they just had a small digital business. I mean, they just had a website. And today, these companies are digitally transformed companies. They have, they're, you know, super, you know, they've grown so much with this digital revolution and it's phenomenal. So those are the, I think, if I look at Frankfurt and look at what I mentioned earlier, it's about relationships. It's a place where everyone congregates to really have that face-to-face -face and build those relationships. But in 2000, so walking the uh, you know, halls were, was good, but as we launched this product, our platform, we worked on it in 2007, we needed a platform to launch this to the world, to the publishing world. There was no better place than Frankfurt Book Fair. And it was a massive investment for us. It was a risk. Mm. You know, do we actually put, uh, you know, a lot of money? Is you know, bringing a team. It, it's different than walking the hall, right? It's just me or another member of my team walking the hall. So it, I still remember. Do we do it? Do we do it? But I, you know, that's the thing about entrepreneurs. You have to take that risk. You know, if you you have to push that envelope. And we said we're going for it. Mm. We built that. And it wasn't a small booth, it was a nice booth, you know. We had to make, and it was 2000. And this I was remember the, that, yes. This was when the whole ebook revolution was just hitting. And there was this fear, you know, that, uh, you know, the ebooks and digital is going to just swallow print and, you know, we're going to die. So it was a lot of money, it was a risk, but, you know, it was a risk, well, taken and it was worth it mm -hmm. um, and from there every year frank we we put calendar on frankfurt because we say that's when we release new updates to our platform and all that so it's been a fantastic ride and uh you know it's it's part of our just business as usual kind of elements too it's one where one place where you know, we can meet our existing customers, talk to them, tell them, you know, just mm. it's one place where everyone is there. You yeah. Know? Not, only, not, not only during the fair hours, but even post, you know, the, the parties, the dinners, those are all part of doing business and building mm. these relationships to become stronger partners and, you know, uh, grow together. So in your experience, as uh, you mentioned, or putting an emphasis on relationship building, if we didn't have that kind of um, meeting place, because we cannot meet in person, if we didn't have it, uh, what would you say, how can that be substituted? The personal no, I mean, relationship, can it be substituted? No, the, the human touch is always, uh, you know, cannot be replaced. Right? Um, so if you look at most during this COVID crisis, everyone is actually working from home. One thing that has forced us is usually our phone calls would be very, uh, I mean, would be voice. Today, like even today, we're it's uh, it's visual. So that's that actually has advanced. I mean, that has helped the relationship even more. I mean, and you don't have to travel as much because of that. Mm -hmm. But I think even this visual only goes to a certain way, right? It can do a lot. It can accomplish a lot, but it can't accomplish that one, maybe that the last mile of, you know, clinching that relationship yeah. too, because that expression and the, just the emotion, you know, there's only a certain amount. 
And I mean, this technology will get better. We will have virtual reality. We will have telepresence. We'll have a lot of those things coming over the next uh, decade in terms of making our video conferencing a lot better. But it cannot eliminate that you know, personal, you know, kind of uh, having that, uh, you know, just physical presence of individuals so that emotionally you can connect uh, mm. physically. So I think, yes, uh, on both sides, two sides, I think Frankfurt Book Fair needs to upgrade its platform to be a lot more digitally, uh, uh, you know, connected. Uh, so that it's not just, hey, it's not just October 14, 15, 16. It's 365 days a year that publishing community can engage and uh, build those relationships on one side. But then on October 14, 15, 16, it might be a smaller uh, you know, presence. It won't be 10 halls. It might be just four or five halls, right? But we will all come together, throw, you know, exchange stories, have a meal, have a coffee, you know, and really figure out what are the challenges and what are the opportunities mm. that we can all work together with and build relationships. So mm. I think, uh, you know, yes, technology's helped us and the network and all of that, but that physical engagement is definitely needed in, uh, in business. Yeah, yeah. So um, what do you think is the future of publishing? I mean, that's a big question, right? But to break yeah. it down is uh, one, uh, one question or one aspect of the question would be for me, e-readers. I mean, if we, mm. if we don't only look at academic publishing, but also trade publishing, mm. and we see e-readers and e-books. In Germany, e-books, I mean, even though we suspected that they would be taking off, as you mentioned earlier, but actually mm -hmm. they only make up five or six percent of the whole term. Yeah books and that is similar in a lot of countries why do you think that hasn't taken off no but i think just saying publishing and e-readers and that's the digital side is uh, the wrong way to look at it right it's a very one-dimensional way to look at it i think you as the publisher be a trader need to look at what are you trying to do if you're trying to tell stories then you're a storyteller and the mediums the way that we could only tell that story historically was through a printed book right and and that's what you put you took that story and put it into a book and then you distributed it if you're a storyteller then today there's so many different mediums you know e-reader is one you know audio is another you know so having a tv show is another of that story so there's so many different ways so that publisher needs to really look into inside themselves to say, what are we at our core, right? Mm. So just like an academic publisher or a scientific publisher or a society, what are they at the core? You know, once they know what that is, you know, so they can then figure out what are all the technologies that they need to actually deliver that value to their customer, right? So that's, I think, what... Uh, the publisher needs to understand they're not a publisher they have a core asset and they have a core value proposition so where your question of what is the publishing where is the future of the publishing industry i think it's phenomenal you know and i think uh it's it, because the opportunities is not just limited to print 
the opportunity is limited to different things. So when I talked about how all these publishers are changing what they are to being education companies, to being, you know, workflow companies, to being, you know, all of these things that creates so many opportunities. Uh, so you, we need management in these pub, you know, in these companies to understand that, understand their customer, understand what they're super good at, which is the content, the creation of, you know, knowledge or creation of that, and then figure out how do we leverage technologies and all the different methods of delivery to actually give it to them. So I, I think, uh, you know, being a tech company uh, at the core is what all of these publishers should be. And uh, they will actually, you know, create so many different revenue streams. Mm, yeah. Thank you for that advice. Um, and that would have also been my next question coming back to you being an entrepreneur, what uh, kind of, and you're also an advisor for the um, startup scene in India. Um, what kind of advice, what kind of yeah, advice would you give to a young startup, a new startup? See, I think, I mean, the thing is building businesses is, you know, super duper tough. It is, you know, it's, You know, you see a lot of, when you read magazines or you read on the web, success stories, you know, that is like literally 0.1% of, you know, all of the, the companies that have been started. There's a lot of failure. Um, so, you know, people say startup, startup, startup. I think first thing is you need to have the heart and the, the passion to know that you can actually survive that, you know, I said roller coaster. I think because it, it, it is super tough, uh, it's nothing comes easy. So, so make sure you have that character and the characteristic to survive. On one side, there's super highs of like getting a customer, getting the contract. On the other side, there's super duper lows. You know, the question is, can you survive the lows? And, and the lows can be that you have no money. Right. And you have to pay that salary or you have to pay that vendor. How do you figure it out? You know, you've got to be creative and can you survive that pressure? It's immense pressure. Right. Uh, and immense. So, you know, so the question is, do you have that characteristic to actually do all of that? Mm -hmm. If you do, that's your first question. And if you're ready to sacrifice, you know, and this is a 24 seven job. But the cool thing is you're your own boss. You know, it's not like you have to say I have to be at the office. You can, I mean, I've had a great life. I mean, I've traveled and had holidays, but guess what? In those holidays, it's a holiday, but it's not a holiday. You're constantly on your phone. You're constantly doing work, but you, you're your own boss. So mm. that commitment and the investment are you ready for, right? And then, you know, The passion, you know, you need to be passionate about what you do. And then the last thing is this thing, and I think it's a gene, it's, it's that never give up attitude. You will, you know, in all of this, you know, we've gone as a company uh, at Impulses, it's, you know, we've gotten to the success and I tell my team all the time, but the success has a lot of, I talked about the highs and lows. The lows have been tremendously low. Um, and it, sometimes it's been super duper bleak, but we never lost sight. 
and uh, you know, and as a team, we've all come together and fought those lows, and we've you know built character as an as a company because of that, and we've become much much stronger. But uh, it's having that commitment and never give up attitude that has gotten us to where it is, and uh, and I think I mean uh, also uh, you know has especially in this whole post COVID era uh, that we're going to live. You know, I think this COVID uh, crisis has really, you know, taught everyone us, any every one of us, to reflect: what are we doing? I mean, why are we in whatever industry we're in, or why are we as individuals doing what we do? What are our values? You know, I think the silver lining in all of this is we got to be with our families more, your kids, and all that. So, even as you build your business, it's not about Profit, profit, profit. It's about what is your purpose as your company, you mm. know. And really, you know, there's there's a you know commercial side. There is an element of profit, but that's not the only thing. You are responsible. There are employees. You have your customers. You are part of society as a as a company. So there's got to be you know something greater. So purpose. So final advice uh, for all these budding entrepreneurs. It's not about just money. That's one of your top five. Let there be a bigger purpose in why you're committing your time, your passion, your effort in building, uh, you know, a, a living thing. Uh, make sure that those are all lined up so that you, when you go run and when the lows come, you are very clear that you know why you're there. Mm. And then you can battle those lows as easy as possible so thank you for that stimulus and yeah. passionate statement <laughs> um coming to coming to an end um you were just talking about the lows what do you what did you do in your low times to 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 keep your head up over the water i always you know the question is when you see a glass is it half full or half empty right i always see it as half full so That outlook in life, that the lows, even in the lows, that tomorrow is going to be a better day, is uh, you know, is definitely uh, you know, helped me actually you know deal with those in times and having that. I mean, having a great family support, my wife being there supporting me, all of those elements definitely are a part of uh, how you engage and deliver. And I think yeah, like the sports is you talk about running. I, you know, it's it's my alone time running and uh, it's crazy and I like to take risks I push you know the marathons look like I can do ultra marathons and uh, push the body I mean it's interesting in all of this I usually run in the mornings uh, every day I run you know five to six seven kilometers a day uh, I think you know uh, what's important in in all of this I and I tell my team and Vinay will there are two words that I always say it's called disciplined execution you know And I believe those two words are important when you're building a business, you know, or in a personal, in your, you know, in your personal life. Just having discipline in how you execute uh, uh, in everything you do. So even my running, I say, hey, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lockdown. I'm, it's Ramadan. I'm fasting, but you can restructure. You can figure out how to do it mm. if you have 
discipline. If you have that mental mental focus, you can do it. So even as we were are we're building our business, uh, we focus on disciplined execution. There's processes we you know define them. We t make sure that everyone follows it. And and I think in a way I look at Germany and the Frankfurt Book Fair. If you think about German culture, it's about discipline and precision, engineering and all of that. And I, I mean, that's how you get high quality stuff and that's how you get to your goals. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I think we are unfortunately at the, at the end of our conversation today, um, at least for this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for your passionate, insightful comments. It was really interesting to listen to you and um, very stimulating and motivating as well. So thank you so thank much you. for that, Samir. Uh, that was Samir Sharif joining us, sharing with us his entrepreneurial journey and his thoughts on the current COVID crisis. Thank you very much, Samir, for giving us your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Global Local Talks. And our next speaker will be announced soon. However, do write to us and send us, tell us how you, who you would like to listen to and share your comments with us. You can reach us at contact at newdelhi.gbo.org. Once again, thank you so much. This is Claudia signing off. See you again soon. Till then, stay safe and healthy.